hearts to the things that you have for us today. Uh, May we center in on you and your message for us. Uh, May we learn uh, what it means to uh, be sent by you with uh, your story. We pray in your name. Amen. God bless you. Sit down. Grab a seat. Uh, I don't know about you, I, I, I tend to think that most people uh, love telling good news. Uh, I remember when we, uh, we had two boys and then we had a gap of eight years and when we found out we were uh, having a third child, we were really excited. So when it came to the ultrasound visit where we were going to have the, the gender reveal moment, uh, we invited all the grandparents there and it was a really big moment when they said, you know, we were going to have a girl. In fact, uh, the grandparents, because on Kim's side there was no granddaughters, they kept asking, check again, check again, check again. So they, they really made sure. It was, a, it was kind of a, it was a real exciting moment. Everyone, a lot of laughter and crying. Uh, but I have to admit, I, I feel uh, a little old now because the, the way that gender reveal is done today with the, the, the uh, new generation, it's a little different. There's a lot of creativity uh, that goes on, but probably, maybe because I'm a baseball fan, my favorite one that is being done now, and if I knew this could have been done, I would have done it, we would have done it for sure, is... Uh, uh, typically, not always, but typically, the mom throws a ball, the dad swings and hits it, and it hit, when he hits it, it opens up into a color, and you see boy or girl, blue is boy, uh, pink is girl. And so I want to show you, uh, in case you've never seen this before, I'll, just sh- I'll, I'll give you an example of this. Keep your eye on the ball. So, uh, it is, uh, so mom is throwing, dad is swinging, grandma is filming, and grandpa is the catcher. Okay, so keep your eye on the ball, and this is how it's being done these days. Now I'm convinced that this is the son-in-law because Grandpa is obviously in pain. But the son-in-law is laughing and turns away and just begins to celebrate. He has no concern for the fact that his, his father-in-law is now blind. Uh, but uh, I just want to say to any of you who want to do this, swing. Swing every time. I don't care what your coach taught you about working the count. I, in fact, if you want, I have access to the batting cages over here at Fountain Valley High School. I will take you over. I will soft toss you. I'll, I'll get you prepared for that great day, okay? So uh, swing every time. Uh, hey, sharing good news. Uh, we have the opportunity to share good news as well. Uh, you know, as we have been in this series called uh, Sent, uh, the, uh, what we know is that Jesus has sent us into the world with good news, the good news of what God is doing. And so for the, the, these past weeks, we have been uh, thinking what it means to be sent people. And really, this goes all the way back to Easter, because if you think about that first Easter, uh, there was uh, uh, not only does this miracle happen of God raising Jesus from the dead, but immediately the disciples are being told that they are being sent back into the world with this message. God is doing something. It's, a, it's an amazing moment. And so we, we see that all through this, that when, once Jesus had risen, that it became very important for him to meet with his disciples, to prepare them, to challenge them, to say, okay, here's what's next. You are going to be the ones who go into the world. And 
so he tells them, you know, go into uh, the world and make disciples of all the nations. He says, now the Spirit's going to come and you will be my witnesses here in Jerusalem. Then you'll go out to the the next region of Judea and Samaria. And then you're ultimately going to go to the ends of the earth. All this began when he said, as the Father has sent me, now I am sending you. And so you and I can uh, look at this and go, okay, we're, we, we get it. We're sent. It's not a matter of, of if we're sent. It's a matter of to whom we're sent and when we're sent and, and, and how we're going to go. And so one of the things I think that ultimately we, we realize and we get to this last week is, okay, I'm sent. Last week we saw I'm, I'm, I'm compelled by love. I do this because I, I care about people because of God's love for me. But, but once I go, what do I do then? And I want to show you something today. Uh, it's our big idea is this, that Jesus is not sending you out empty-handed. Our big idea today is that Jesus has sent you with a story. Jesus is sending you with a story. He is sending you with the story of what God is doing in the world. And he is sending you with your story. The unique way in which has, as this big God story is taking place, how it is intersected into your life. If you've been with us these, uh, these last few weeks uh, since Easter, uh, we've been able to tell a number of stories of Beach Point people. And it's fascinating as you listen to every one of the stories, there's something so unique about uh, every one. They, there's, there's themes that maybe you see that are consistent, but there are so many unique uh, uh, ways that we hear the stories. And if we were to take this group, we'd realize we'd have about 200 unique stories this morning if we were to, uh, to listen to each other and to see how God has been interacting with each of us in his own unique way. And so you are being sent with a story, uh, the story of what God is doing in the world and, and your story as God is interacting with you uh, through his son Jesus. And so I want to take you into uh, a passage where we see this uh, and, and there's some there's, there's some great wisdom as to how we do this. So let me invite you to turn to John chapter 15. We're going to look at two verses, a, a, a very small section, uh, John 15 verses 26 and 27, page 1082, Bible's in front of you. If you haven't re- uh, grabbed one of the life journals yet, uh, grab one in the lobby afterwards. We, we encourage you, you can bring these on Sundays, you can keep your notes all in here. You, there's a, a space in there for you to uh, have a, a, a devotion time uh, for the passage we're doing next week. Uh, the passage is listed in the bulletin today of what we're going to talk about next week. And so you get a chance to be interacting with God through the week, kind of as Sandra was saying, there's a way in which that relationship can grow and you can come. You can see by the time you get here on Sunday how God is already at work in your heart. But as we look at the, these passages, this, this short little passage, let me set it up for a moment. This comes on the last night of Jesus' life. And what's significant about this moment is uh, this is a very intense night. Uh, this night uh, begins with the telling of a story. Uh, Jesus has gathered them together to share in the Passover meal, a meal that tells the story of God's salvation, of the people in Israel who were brought out of slavery. And so every part of the meal was storytelling. Uh, every, every taste, every, every thing that uh, uh, they enjoyed during that meal was telling the story of God's rescue. But during this night, what Jesus was doing was showing this bigger story that God was telling of not just some, a salvation of a moment of his people, but really the salvation that was coming for, for all of mankind. And the night begins with this kind of really awkward moment for the disciples. Jesus bends down. He washes their feet like a servant would. 
He then asks them to care for each other and love each other the way he has loved them. And he starts to get into these uh, uh, situations where he lets them know that he is going to be leaving them. But that's not a bad thing because when he leaves, the spirit will come. And so he's encouraging them, stay with me, stay with me, stay with me. And then he gets to this point where he says, now, as you hold on to me, just know this, there will be people who don't want what you are offering they don't want to hear what you have to say. They, they're, they're going to put pressure on you because you follow me. And he tells them to endure. And he says, now, I'm, I, I, once again, he draws them to the Spirit. But the Spirit will be with you and will help you. But then he says this, and here's, here's where we want to lock in on. Listen what he says about the story they are to tell. He says, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you, from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Now, we're going to lock in on those two verses, but notice there's a key action that he expects from his followers, and it is to testify. The Spirit will testify, and and they, as his followers, they will testify. That word testify, uh, to give testimony, is is that they will share the story. They'll share what they've seen, what they've heard. They will will simply give witness to, to what they know to be true. This is the action, and this is what we're called to do. But how do we do it? Well, there's a couple of things I want to draw your attention to that I think will be helpful for us as we look at this. The first thing we see is this, is that we are spirit-led. We are spirit-led. And so he says this, that the spirit is going to come. So you see this word advocate, and John uses this word advocate instead of the spirit. And it's a very interesting thing. When John, John continues to word this word advocate, you might have the word comforter. But he describes more what the spirit does than just simply giving the name. He says the advocate, the encourager, the comforter will come alongside of you. And and this is so important uh, for us to see. Now, now we have seen in other places the same idea where Jesus says, hey, now I am sending you, but wait, wait for the Spirit, okay? The Spirit will go ahead of you. The Spirit will come first. We see this, and he says, and the Spirit will fill you. And then you'll be my witnesses. And so this theme of waiting on the spirit, of being spirit-led, is very, very important to Jesus. And and, and I think there's probably one of the best examples of this. It's found in the book of Acts in chapter 16. We'll look at it more uh, in uh, in depth in the fall. But in this moment, there was a a man named uh, Paul who he, he had this amazing story of conversion. And he, like us, wanted to be sent by God. And so God sends him out and he's on his, his second journey to spread the, the news of the, the good news of Jesus around the world. And he's trying to go into an area called Asia Minor. And as he's trying to go into this area, he, it said, the scriptures simply say it this way, but the spirit resisted him. So imagine this, like you leave Sunday and you're saying, okay, Bill, I'm, I'm, I'm in, I, I'm going to go. Every time he tries to go, he's resisted. Every, he, he tries to go, resisted. Go, resisted. And it's kind of like, well, what's up with this? I'm trying to be sent, but you keep saying no. And then he has a vision. And the vision is this uh, of a man saying, come to Macedonia. And so he pivots and he goes to this whole new region instead of the one that he thought he was supposed to go to. But when he gets there, once again, we see the unique way in which the spirit is leading. 
What was his typical tradition was to find a place where there were people, God-fearing people already, and enter into the discussion and help them see the story of God and what God was doing in Jesus. Well, there's no synagogue. There's no place where people are worshiping. So what you would do then is find a place of prayer. A place of prayer was typically next to a, a, a place of water. And so he goes and he finds near this, this stream, uh, this group of people who are meeting together as a place of prayer, Lydia and her family, and he sits with them. Here they are. There's an openness to hear uh, about. They, they, they're spiritual people who want to hear the, about God and what God is doing. And so he shares who Jesus is and how God is fulfilling his plan through Jesus. Lydia and her entire household are baptized. Those are the easy ones. Well, he's moving through the, the area and this, this uh, slave girl is following, around, following him around for days and she's yelling at him or yelling, kind of yelling around him but she is, uh, the way it's, uh, she's oppressed by a demon and the demon is calling out and saying uh, things about who Paul is and what he's coming to do. And for whatever reason, Paul tolerates it for a little bit and then finally turns around. He casts the demon out of her. There's a freedom that comes to this girl. But because she was used in such a way by the people who owned her uh, to make a profit, this turns into a, a really difficult situation. So here again, the Spirit is leading him in a situation to someone who would not show up in our churches. Not someone, the, the slave girl was someone who was trapped, she was enslaved, she was in bondage. But God leads him to her and he realizes the only way this, she is going to be free is if I intervene. And sometimes this is what the Spirit will do. The Spirit will lead us to people and we will have to get involved in things that are very challenging, very difficult. But if we don't, people will continue to be enslaved. They will continue to be in danger. This winds up putting Paul in prison, him and Silas. They're beaten. They're put in this, this uh, prison. And they're put in, actually it says, it talks about being put in, in chains. And so he's chained in this prison. He's been beaten. So imagine, how, what would be your attitude had you been Sent by God, serving God, you're beaten now, you're in this dark, damp dungeon, chained to the wall, and it says around midnight, Paul and Silas begin to sing hymns and praise God, and everyone's kind of listening in, and the Spirit shows up, there's an earthquake, the, the, the jail breaks open. And at the time, if you owned a jail, the prison guards at those time were, were typically retired soldiers. They were people who had a long faithful service. But you can imagine if you were a retired soldier and you'd had a successful career, you had seen a lot, you'd experienced a lot. They were cynical people. They were hardened people. And this jailer thinks that all the prisoners have escaped. And so he's about to take his own life. And Paul cries out. He tells him, don't do it. And it opens up a door. Again, the Spirit opens a door where he is able to share with this jailer the story of God and the story of his life. And the jailer and his entire family are baptized and added to the church. And in each one of these stories, we see this unique way in which Paul is led in such different ways by the Spirit to a place he never intended to go to in the first place. But God is putting together this wonderful blend of, of, of church through these people. The Spirit takes the lead, and the Spirit will give testimony. But notice again uh, the second thing that we see in this. Not only does the Spirit lead, uh, but we see that we are Jesus-centered. We're Jesus-centered. 
Notice it says that the Spirit will come, the Advocate will come, and he says he will testify about me. And then he says to them, and you must testify uh, about me. Notice what he wants. He wants the testimony to be centered upon him because what is our story? Our story is about what God is doing in the world through Jesus. And so sometimes what happens is, uh, we talked about this a couple weeks ago about being salt and light. To be salt is to be different, to, be, uh, to, to, to live in such a way that we add this value, uh, we preserve and we add flavor to the community. And, and we do a lot of things here in the church to, to live as salt, uh, to, to be different, to, to somehow where the community says, we're glad you're here, you, you, add, you, add, some, you add value to this community. But, but the, the challenge of, uh, that Jesus gave was that his church would not just be salt, but would be light. And to be light means to reveal. Light is always used with the idea of revelation, that we are to, to show, to reveal something to be true. And notice what Jesus says, you will testify about me. And so our job is not just to be this kindness brigade, which we, we do want to be that, but not for the sake of simply that that is why we exist, so people are going to experience our kindness, but in some sense they're going to ask, why are you this way? And I don't know about you, but ultimately for me, I am, my kindness is driven because of the kindness I was shown. I wasn't someone who grew up in church. I wasn't someone who understood. I, didn't, I wasn't just forced to do this. I heard about Jesus and what he did for me. And I responded to his kindness. In fact, the Bible says it this way, that repent, uh, it, it is because of your kindness that leads to repentance. I experienced the kindness of God. I, saw, I heard the story of what God was doing through Jesus and I wanted that. Maybe you felt that a little bit in, in the song that we sang uh, about coming to my rescue. Uh, I don't know if you're a follower of Jesus yet, but I, I want to help you understand what you're being invited to. Uh, the, the call of Jesus is to come to him to experience his kindness and love and to be forgiven of your sin now and forever. Uh, one of the most amazing ways Jesus explained it was this. He was telling a story to try to help them understand the gravity of what he was doing. And so he, said, he uh, started telling the story. He says, imagine a man. So here, here's this group of people sitting around him and he's telling a story. He goes, let me give you a picture. Imagine a man who, owns, who owes 10,000 talents. Now, a talent was a, a measurement of money. 10,000 talents was equivalent to 20 years' wages. So I don't know what your credit card debt is, but imagine owing 20 years, whatever you make in a year, times that by 20. He says, now imagine a man who owes 20 years of salary in debt, and the time comes for that debt to be paid. Now, what was interesting is that number 10,000, that was as high as they went in Greek to count. And so really what Jesus is saying, imagine someone who owes an infinite amount of debt. To pay it off, he'll have to pay it off all throughout eternity. The time comes for that debt to be paid, and the man comes and falls at the knees of the judge and says, is there any way, can you give me more time? Because he knows what will happen. He will, the, the judge will seize him, he'll seize his family, he'll throw them all in prison. And he says, is there any way you can give me more time? And Jesus does something in this story that is entirely unexpected. The first response is totally to be expected. The judge says, no, I won't give you more time. But the next move, no one saw coming. The judge says, instead, I forgive you of all your debt. 
Can you imagine that? So everyone's sitting there, their jaws kind of open like, whoa, that's, that's quite a judge. The man falls on his knees. He doesn't know whether or not to get up and hug him or, or, and thank him or kiss his feet. He doesn't know what to do. He's just so grateful because he's been rescued of, of, of a debt he could never pay himself. And his whole family is rescued. And then Jesus twists the story one more time and he says, now that man, after that moment, walks outside and he sees his buddy pass him by and his buddy owes him a couple bucks. And he says, hey, 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 you owe me, you owe me a couple bucks. And he goes, ah, you hit me on the wrong day. I don't, I don't have any cash on me. Can I get you next week? And he says, no. And he grabs his friend and he throws him in debtor's prison. And at this point, everyone in the audience would have done this. Come on, Jesus. Come on, that story. No one does that. No one being forgiven of millions of dollars in debt then goes and does that to his friend when he owes him a couple bucks and Jesus goes, aha, aha, I gotcha, right? That's, that's exactly my point. Do you understand what God is doing for you? What he is, he is doing for you? He is relieving a debt you could never pay for your, yourself. So why do you hold these things against your brothers and sisters? Why do you hold these little things against each other? And he's trying to help you understand the gravity of what God is doing. And I know for me, as I've grown in my idea of why I want to follow him, it's because I understand something very powerful he has done for me. He has forgiven me of my sin because I couldn't do it myself, nor could you. He has relieved an eternal debt out of his kindness. How could I not follow him? How can I not trust him with my life? And so the story I want to tell, I want to tell people about who he is. And I want to tell people about what he did for me. And I want people to know that he can do the same thing for you. That's why he came in this world. He doesn't want you to be far from him. He wants you to know him, and he has sent me to you to let you know that. But notice this last thing I want you to see is this. Not only are we spirit-led and Jesus-centered, but notice the expectation he has. We each have a story. We each have a story. His expectation is that each of them will go. Again, it's not a question of if, it's about when and how and to whom we would go to. Uh, each of us have a story. Now, this is not a new thing. In fact, what we've seen, is if, you, if you follow the story of Jesus uh, during his three years, he comes across people, he intersects in their life. He comes uh, to this woman and she's, uh, this story in John 4 where they're next to this well and they're talking about water. And he gets, he, he knows things about her, he reveals things about her, and then he reveals things about himself and why, what his mission is and why he's come. And she is so amazed, she runs back into the town and she says to everyone, come and see this guy. You've got to meet him and hear his story because he told me everything about my life. Could he be the one? And the whole town comes and they sit and they listen. There's a, a man where Jesus does such a remarkable miracle in his life that it scares everyone in the town. And they ask him, please leave. And so the man who he's done this amazing miracle in says, Jesus, I will, what, what you've done for me, I'll follow you anywhere. And Jesus says, then I need you to stay here and tell your story to them 
because I have no one. They won't let me, so I need you. You go tell your story to them. So this, we, the disciples have seen this happen. It's not the first time, and it won't be the last time. In fact, it's fascinating. As you watch, as you read through the, the beginning of the church in the book of Acts, what you see is anytime someone is telling the story, they also intersect to their story and how this unique way God has been working in their lives. I, I love the way that you'll see uh, uh, Paul, who becomes this amazing leader in the church. He has this radical transformation. But when he gets in these situations where they're asking him, you know, how in the world are you why are you talking about this? And he says, look, I thought the story was this. And God showed me it was this. And then he did this in my life. He intersected. He, had bright light, and he goes into his story. And so you see these two stories coming together. And so here's the response I want to invite you to uh, today as we end this series. If we each have a story, here's what I invite you to. Start scripting your story. Start scripting your story. We've been talking this morning about there's two parts to it. On one hand, it is knowing how to share the big God story. As Kimberly uh, shared with you earlier, we're going to do a training on Tuesday, uh, June 5th. I want to encourage you, come. Come with your life group. Come with your family. Come so that we can talk about some of the simple ways that you can think about this and go, oh, I could say that. That makes sense. Uh, there's, there's just simple ways that we can think about what God has done in our life and simple ways that we can share. How can you share this big story? But second, I want, you to, I want to encourage you to think about your story and the unique way God has intersected in it. At the close of the service, you're going to receive uh, a handout that looks like this. What's your story? And, and what I want to encourage you to do is when you get a chance to look at this, it's got some questions for you to begin to think about the unique way that God has been intersecting in your life. Uh, when you open it up on the inside, you'll see that there's a timeline here. And the encouragement is to think about your timeline, your story, and then to add a second line. When did God inter? When did you start noticing God intersecting that? And you will notice there are some peaks and valleys and some ways in which uh, God probably intersected in your life in ways that you, you didn't expect. A time that was down in your life, but it was a high spiritual moment uh, because God was there for you. And it's fascinating as we begin to see and, and experience the unique way God is moving in our stories. But the more you begin to see it, just as you've heard many people stand on the stage, you start hearing and you start seeing the unique way God is writing your story as well. And so start scripting your story. We, we have been encouraging you. You have people in your life who it's it really, if you take some time to, to be thoughtful and to be prayerful, uh, really seem to be supernatural and strategically placed in your life. We call them the 8 to 15. Uh, that there are people in your life, people that you have, you have a responsibility to. Now, if you're a mom, it's really easy. It's your kids. They start on that. Uh, uh, maybe it's your neighbors. Maybe it's coworkers. But if you pay attention, you will notice that there are people in your life in any season that if you just stop and think about it, it really, you sense in your heart I'm in their life for a reason. And we want you to be thoughtful of that. We want you to realize that you aren't just sent blindly. You are sent. The Spirit is sending you. God has put people in your life to be ready to be nudged and be ready for that that moment. Now, here's what I I believe. Uh, I believe that you will find this, that by living faithfully to 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 being sent, 
you will come to the end of your life and you will not regret what it costs you. You will not regret what it costs you, in, uh, your time, your energy, your talent, your treasures. You will not look back on your life and think, I wish I would have held on to things more when you start to realize that your life has had an impact on others. In fact, the, the impact that your life makes doesn't typically just make an impact on one person, almost like a, a pebble being thrown in a pond. There's a ripple effect. I think about the family who reached out uh, to me. Uh, there was a, uh, this church. I, for 35 years ago, this church was committed to being sent. And there was a family in my neighborhood who, who reached out to our family. And as a result of that, I look at my family today, 35 years later, and there are generations of our family that are changed forever. Because one family lived faithfully. They weren't afraid to be sent. And I am eternally grateful for that. And I, what I know about that family is this, that they would endure all the ridicule and all the, all the testing and all the extra driving that she did in my life to get me to youth group. They would not look at any of those things and say, oh, I wish I would have had more nights at home watching TV than driving you to youth group all the time. They'd say, I would do it over again, a hundred times over. I know when you come, when you live this way, when you have the opportunity to be used by God, how important it is. Now, I know for myself, the problem is this, that sometimes, whether it's busyness or apathy, or maybe I just think, well, maybe God will just use, you know, if I don't do this, will it really matter? I mean, won't God just use someone else? He will. But doesn't he, if he's nudging me, doesn't that mean that he wants me to be a part of something exciting, something, something that is, is worth my life? I'm convinced that by giving yourself uh, to, to God's mission, you will not look back on your life in any way with any form of regret. I, I'm struck by a, a scene. I don't know how many of you have seen the movie Schindler's List, uh, a, a very powerful movie uh, about the Holocaust. And, and Oscar Schindler thought that during World War II was going to be a time where he was going to make a lot of money. He set up a factory and he began to, uh, as he began to uh, uh, get these Jewish workers in, slowly he began to be, his eyes were open to the horrors of the Holocaust. And rather than becoming rich, he began to use his wealth and his influence to rescue people one at a time. Uh, all the way to the point where he really ultimately lost everything. But when he comes to the end of the movie, and he comes into the story, there's about a thousand people that he has helped rescue. And they want to say thank you to him. And they give him this ring and it's a, it's a symbol of, of not just the salvation that he's brought to their lives, but what it means for generations of their family. And at that moment, the gravity of what he's done hits him. And he, he realizes all that he's done, he wishes that he could have done more. And it's quite powerful because in, in, in watching it, we see in some ways what it is to be willing to sacrifice. But when you see the, the crowd around, it, uh, around him, you realize this is no sacrifice at all. And so watch this scene, and then we'll, we'll close together.
world entire. As we close our series, we've been praying this prayer of, of Lord, give us your heart. Uh, that, that we want to be a part of what God is doing in the world. Give us your heart, and we're praying. Uh, we want to have this, this reckless abandon of, of our own stuff, our own things that we hold on, a, a, a faith, a trust that, that isn't held back by anything, that we're willing to do whatever it is that the Lord requires so that we can uh, accomplish what it is that he has sent us for. And so let's close by praying. And let me ask you just to pray that. Lord, give us your heart. Who are you sending me to? And let the Spirit begin to impress you about, upon those things, those, those people that he cares about so deeply.